Uh, loving Father, thanks that we can gather tonight as your people. Thank you for the rain. Thank you that we can sing praises to you for your goodness to us. And we do ask for more rain, that in your mercy you will continue to send it and heal our land. We thank you that we can fellowship with you now with our Bibles open and we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that by your Spirit you would grow us in Christ, that you teach us to heed his words and live them out because it's good for us, but most especially so that you are glorified. And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Uh, this is talk number six in a series called Unpacking Forgiveness. And as we've been saying, if you missed out on the others, uh, if you missed out on last week especially, have a listen online. Uh, they need to be heard uh, not in isolation of each other, but together. Uh, last week, if you heard it, in talk five... We saw that not every offence needs to be confronted. There are times when the best thing to do is to drop a matter and to let love cover it over. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And it's why my wife loves me so much. <laughs> Come on, that was a little bit funny. That's better, thank you. But having said that, not every offence can be overlooked. And so if it's really necessary, if we've carefully thought about those diagnostic questions from last week, which are still in the breezeway, if you want to have a look at them, if we've done business with ourselves and we still need to pull the trigger, so to speak, what Jesus offers here next is important. But we need to pause because this next step, uh, we are entering into the realm that is known as church discipline. And if, as I say church discipline, maybe there's a soundtrack in your, in your head as I say church discipline that goes like something like this. Dun, dun, dun. Church discipline. It's a daunting thing. They are two words that threaten our autonomous, independent sensibilities. And maybe they are two words, church discipline, that stir up emotions from the past for all sorts of reasons. Maybe the pastor got it wrong. Maybe somebody else got it wrong. Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe everybody got it wrong. Of course, what is conveniently forgotten when it comes to church discipline it is that if there was no sin in the first place, no offence, no wrongdoing, there wouldn't be any cause for it, of course. But why else do we pause? We pause because I think with this passage there's a danger of being overly legalistic and rigid with these verses. We kind of work in a straitjacket. Uh, as we come to it. That can be the tendency. Sometimes we treat these words that we're looking at tonight like it's, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, pull the lever. Uh, and so after things have gone pear-shaped, we come here. But I want to say to you tonight, straight off the bat, Matthew 18 isn't to be reduced to a set of robotic office-like procedures or mechanical steps 
with which we punish one another. We're not to weaponise this text. No, the chapter, the context of this chapter is the fatherly love and concern of a heavenly father for his children. So you can see that in verses 1 to 4. We've been in verses 1 to 4. You see there this love and care uh, for his humble little children. Or in verses 5 to 9. Can you see verses 5 to 9? We heard the warning about those who would cause one of the father's little ones to sin. It's a love that wants to protect and it doesn't want to hurt anyone's faith. And then in verses 10 to 14, we heard Judy start to read some of this. It's a love that seeks and searches. As the father is likened to a shepherd, as he leaves the 99 behind and he goes to seek how many? One of all things. It's ridiculous. It's decidedly uneconomical to leave 99 and go and look for the one. But that is the nature of God's love. That is what God's love is like. It's bonkers. So as we ask how, now we've decided to do something, as we ask how, first see the Father's love, see his compassion and his gentleness and his tenderness, and remember, see also he's applied that love to you as his child. You are one of those sheep that wandered off, that he sought out and that he found and that he rescued and he restored. That is you. That is me. Verse 14. The Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, that sounds like another Bible verse we know. Which one? Any takers? John 3.16. How about that one? How does that go? hundred percent it's just like that what else do we need to see here we also need to see as we come to look at the detail of verses 15 and 16 the audience of jesus is his disciples it's just his inner circle his mates verse 10 we find the father Verse 14, the father. And 19, he turns up again. Verse 15, what do we find there? We find brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's right. And so this is family language. These are words that apply to God, the family of God. And so again, in chapter 18, Jesus is not speaking about how to forgive your enemy. Jesus is not telling you what to do with the wicked. He's, a, he's talking about how to forgive your brother or your sister within the community of the forgiven. That's us. And so Jesus, does Jesus lay out a process of church discipline? Yeah, he does. It's the go-to passage. It is the one we run to. But... We must also see, I think we, we should also see, this is really just how we're all to get on. As we love each other. 
as we keep short accounts, as we relate to one another. This isn't break glass, pull the lever stuff. I just think this is a normative ideal where Jesus spells out how we get on with stuff as a church family. So verse 15, what does it say? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Some of us are too willing to do that. Some of us are not willing enough to do that. Um, If they listen to you, you've won them over. Uh, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, the first thing here is Jesus' command to go. It's not hard. doesn't make it complicated. He just tells us to go. Go and get on with it. As people who are loved and forgiven by God, go to the other person who is loved and forgiven by God. And as God seeks out the wanderer and the lost, because that's the context, I think Jesus is saying, well, you too go and seek out those that are wandering and lost. Bring them back. But of course, how you go requires wisdom, doesn't it? You don't want to go and be a train wreck. You don't want to go and be abusive. You don't want to go and attack someone. That's not the idea. That'd be crazy. And so it requires wisdom. Can I say from the outset, social media or text messages are not the medium for potentially difficult conversations. That's like playing the little kid in the playground that likes to swap around notes. We're adults. We're not supposed to function like that. We're supposed to be mature and we're supposed to be connected to people. If it's important, and if it's safe, because sometimes it's not, then the ideal is always face-to-face. That's just basic good manners. Because the goal is not that we would be disconnected from people. The goal is that we would be connected. A connection that comes through our love and our sense of community. And again here we see what we have to offer the world. As Christians, a world that longs for community, we have community. To the unsocial social media lovers, we can offer not spite and outrage, but loving, connected, authentic, personal, present community. So different to the world. What is often not realised is that this exhortation to go is also for the offender as well. It's not just for the offended, it's also for the offender. So Matthew 5, verse 23, Jesus spells it out. If you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're doing your business with God, right, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar... Stop what you're doing and what? Go. Same word. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift before God. Further, 
Our responsibility is not limited to what's going on with us necessarily. So in Luke 17, verses 3 to 4, Jesus says, Pay attention. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Forgiveness and repentance are on view. But see also that love has a pastoral concern for the other person and love always heeds the command to go. Again, this is countercultural because our world will say it's none of your business. Our world is all about radical individualism because it's all about you. But this is not what Jesus taught his church. Was it Cain that asked, am I my brother's keeper? And what do you reckon Jesus would say to that answer? Of course you are. Of course you are. Similarly, Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. All right, we've talked a lot about going. Uh, what else do we do? How else are we to love each other? I think the other way we love each other is to keep the circle small. The way of love is to keep things as private as possible. And that's how we honour the other person. Because remember, we're seeking to do that. Now, can I just check the number in verse 15, please? How many people does Jesus say? Should sort it out two? Helen's called out two. I think she's right. Jesus doesn't say three. And he doesn't say four. And he doesn't say five. He doesn't say ten. He doesn't say your church family. He doesn't say your yoga class, your yoga mates. He doesn't say the people that you eat a meal with at Rotary. He doesn't say any of that stuff or the mates that you drink beer with down at the pub. How many does he say? Are you sure? Good. It's two. Love will keep it private. Just the two of you. See, when we've been offended, there is tremendous temptation to talk to others and start shooting off our mouths. And it's okay if we're legitimately seeking prayer or we might feel the need to get another perspective from a mature, objective Christian. Sometimes we need reassurance because we think we need to defend ourselves and that is human nature. But you need to be careful with that. Because in your desire to defend yourself, as you start pulling the trigger and firing off shots about the other person to others, the, the next thing you're doing is you're rallying people to your side. And you're doing it in order to self-justify yourself and maybe even demonise the other person. And that is not okay. That is not the way of love. That is a failure to love your neighbour. And it dishonours yourself and the other people involved. We must make every effort to avoid unnecessarily involving others. Jesus was clear. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him 
alone. You can't get plainer than that. Failure to follow Jesus' instruction in this area does cause terrible damage. Consider the Proverbs that Tinica read. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person spreads strife and a gossip separates close friends. Ain't that the truth? Proverbs uh, 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Uh, and without gossip, quarrelling dies down. Implication? Don't provide the fuel. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. I've said this before. Listening to gossip is like eating too much chocolate. Tastes good. Nice to be in the loop. Feels affirming to have someone to listen to us. But gossip also goes down to our spiritual waistlines and puts us out of shape and makes us unfit. But love, love will keep things private. Love will always seek to honour the other person. One to one. Notice also in this passage so far, there are no church leaders suggested here necessarily. There isn't necessarily a role here. It's just you and the other person. Need to work it out. Notice too, the wider community is not involved. That's Jesus' deliberate intention. This is just path of the course. This is how we keep short accounts and right rightly relate as brothers and sisters. So, the test question then has to be, if someone comes to you, firing off shots about someone else, we need to say to them what? Did you go? That's what we need to say. I don't want to talk to you about it until you've gone. Or unless you're sharing, you need me to pray, or you need another perspective. Otherwise, you need to go. That needs to be our response. Of course, we need to be gracious, especially when you know, Jesus says, show them their fault. Some people go, yoo-hoo, let's do that. No, Ephesians 4 verse 32 encourages us to be gracious to, with people. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so being gracious leaves no room for revenge of any kind, not a, a little. There is no payback. There is no angry shots. There is no cold shoulder here. None of it. Notice also in the verse 15, uh, Jesus says, if they listen to you, and that invites the question, well, how do we get people to listen to us? If they listen to you. Of course, there's no guarantee people will but I think it's an invitation by Jesus to acknowledge that there are always two sides and so for us I think maybe we need to listen first and if we've taken that humble disposition that we've heard so much about in the previous five talks we'll be willing to listen and if necessary not only listen but we'll own our own part and seek forgiveness ourselves if we need to. What else 
about listening. Part of good listening is to choose the right time and place, which is why Tinica was giggling at, at, at that proverb. What did it say? Let me read it. Proverbs 27:14. Whoever blesses his neighbour with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Do you reckon that's true? Someone rings you at four o'clock in the morning and says, Hey, Andrew, I'm just ringing to say you're a legend, you're a champion bloke. Is that a blessing or a cursing? I would count that as a cursing. In fact, when I was at Bible college, we lived in community living, and, and uh, I remember walking down the stairs and breakfast was a thing because I'm not a morning person. And some of these people were bouncy morning people. They knew I wasn't. And one bloke, I would walk in, getting ready to face the masses at whatever 7.30, whatever time it was, and there would be Danny Cook going, Oh, good morning, Adam! Smothering me with all these words at the top of his voice. And I did not feel blessed. I felt cursed. And of course, his goal was to wind me up. And Tinnick is giggling because Danny Cook is her brother-in-law. And we do love Danny, but... Not then so much. If you've got to get the timing of positive communication right, which is the point of the proverb, then how much more a rebuke or a hard conversation? So take that encouragement. You need to choose your words wisely and carefully. And there are tips on the back of the sermon outline for how to do that. It's not really in the text, so I've just uh, taken that option. Read it at your leisure. But we also need to be patient and have modest expectations as we engage with people. Because you might have been chewing on whatever issue it was for months, days, weeks, months, and the other person might be completely oblivious to it. And then you come to them and say, hey, can we have a talk about this thing? And they might go, what on earth are you talking about? And then they don't agree, and then you wonder whether you got it right or not. And the answer, of course, is, yeah, of course you got it right. It's okay, because you've sought to obey Jesus. You've done what Jesus tells you to do. The fact that they didn't agree is, it, it, it doesn't matter. Because in your obedience, you've actually sought to honour the other person and do the right thing as you've honoured Christ and heeded his instruction. So Jesus says, go, and we are right to go, but he doesn't promise that people will see things the way you do. You need to be prepared for that. But remember always the goal, the godly, father-like goal, is that your brother or sister wouldn't be lost, but they'd be won over, verse 15. The next thing to talk about is uh, in the event they don't listen. So verse 16 says something that, about that, where you get help, doesn't it? If necessary, take one or two others along. So you'd hope that two mature Christian people could sort something out. But it doesn't always happen. You would hope that they could do that privately and resolve their differences and spare everyone else the angst. But Jesus knows what we are like. And so he offers the means of help. Verse 16. If they do not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three. 
How many? Two or three. That's right. Not four or five, not your cricket team or your football team or the mother's club or whatever. That not 12 parish councillors. So one or two others in addition to whoever's already there. The way of love is peace and the goal isn't more people taking up weapons. And this is an important step as you seek help because when we get other people involved, part of their role as church family is to determine whether the matter really ought to be pursued. And we need to be prepared to heed their input. Because after listening to your situation, those you involved might tell you just to drop it. And if they tell you to drop it, well, guess what? You need to. Because I would say that's guidance. It's part of the, how the church functions. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3. 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. But if the one or two others whom you involve agree that the person ought to be confronted, then of course we need to be wise and gentle because a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, we have so much more to cover. What do we do if they still don't listen then? What do we do? What then? Next week. All right? Be relieved. You don't want more, do you, Joe? You want me to stop? Oh, that's... Oh, that's the... Oh, thanks, buddy. I won't keep going. I'll stop. Uh, it's been long enough, and there's plenty of that, plenty to absorb already. But let me close. We'll keep going next week. Let's just reflect on the nature of God from Exodus 34... The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Amen. Uh, we're going to just pause for a minute and I'm going to invite you to uh, think about...